You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Jack Lewin, Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Cardiology. The concept of the Accountable Care Organization has many things going for it, not the least of which is its name. Certainly any entity for care that can encourage more accountability and organization than would seem to be available now is something that we could build on for healthcare reform. But there's more to ACOs than just the name. Why might these groups be one of our best options for better quality and reduced costs, helping patients, providers, and hospitals? Our guest today is Dr. Karen Davis, president of the Commonwealth Fund, a national philanthropy engaged in independent health policy research, and for many years, a trusted advisor to the Congress. Welcome, Dr. Davis. It's good to be here. Karen, there are you know, lots of ideas floating around about ACOs out there. Can you explain what your concept of an accountable care organization might be, and perhaps in a broad sense, how you see it being incorporated into the healthcare system? I see an accountable care organization as ending the fragmentation in our healthcare system that's so frustrating to patients. We've surveyed the public on several occasions, and they express great frustration about the fragmentation of the system, the fact that their medical records aren't available when they go to see a specialist, that they repeat their medical histories over and over. It's just very confusing to navigate our healthcare system. Accountable care organizations show great promise of dealing with that frustration. It's a way of coordinating patients' care to make sure that they get the care they need from the providers that are best suited to provide that care and do so in a way that minimizes waste, whether that's waste of patients' time or the total use of resources. Tests don't get duplicated. Patients don't have to come back again because records aren't available. They have a single source of care that is accountable for their total care, helping them achieve the best possible outcomes, and an organization that's accountable for the use of the resources that go into taking care of patients. Oh, Karen, you know, even though I'm a physician, I needed that organization you just described to take care of my uh, aging mother and father in the last couple of years of their life. But it's hard to find. Give us an example of how the structure of that might be created or, or examples of ACO-like organizations that are out there working today. I think an accountable care organization could take many different forms. It could be a large multi-special physician group practice that includes primary care physicians, cardiologists, as well as other specialists like surgeons, anesthesiologists, others that are hospital-based. It could also be an integrated delivery system. I think of that as an organization that includes at least one major hospital as well as a physician group practice. And it could be other types of organizations, for example, a hospital and a group practice coming together through a contractual relationship where they agree to share accountability for the care of patients. There are examples out there. There aren't as many as we would like. I'm on the board of the Geisinger Health System. That's certainly one example of an accountable care organization. It's an integrated delivery system. It has three hospitals. It has 750 physicians that work exclusively within that healthcare system. Obviously, they have the capacity to provide the full continuum of care from prevention to end-of-life care. 
But there are other examples out there. There are certainly many multi-specialty group practices that don't own hospitals. The Mayo Clinic, for example, doesn't own its own insurance plan. It has a hospital. It has a group practice. But it doesn't have all of the elements that one might have in an integrated delivery system like Kaiser Permanente. There are also independent physician associations that could step up to the plate and meet the conditions and expectations for accountable care organizations. We've done case studies of 15 model high-performing organized healthcare delivery systems at the Commonwealth Fund. One of them is the Hill Physicians IPA in California, which is mm-hmm. a network of physicians. They all are practicing independently, but the network provides them with a lot right. of support that lets them provide high-quality care is there to connect the different services together and could be a mechanism for providing Certainly. this kind of care. Yeah, Hill Physicians, Brown and Toland, healthcare partners in Southern California right. seem to be doing this very well right now. And there are others across the country. So different kinds of structures could form. Even a physician hospital organization structure might be an early stage of this. Certainly, some have suggested that hospitals and the physicians that have privileges to practice at that hospital could become an accountable care organization. We'd have to work on some of those, the public relations side of some of those existing relationships out there. But So there's a number of ways that could go. What would make the ACO flourish in this environment as compared to the current environment? We need payment reforms, wouldn't we, to make ACOs really happen? Absolutely. The key to furthering this top model of care is to change the incentive structures so that organizations that do achieve good results for their patients can be rewarded for those that prevent hospitalizations by controlling patients' asthma, diabetes, congestive heart failure, reap the rewards of that better care. There are different models of changing payment that would work for different types of accountable care organizations, and it would be good to have an extensive, very rapid testing of a number of different models. There are two primary methods of payment that have been suggested that might be attractive to accountable care organizations. The first is modeled on a Medicare physician group practice demonstration of 10 accountable care organizations across the country where they have reap rewards if they slow the increase in health care costs relative to others in the community. So if it's going up at 10% elsewhere and 5% within this organization, they are able to get share in those savings. So that's one model of payment. A second model of payment is moving more toward a total payment, a global fee for the care for every member that is served by the organization that can take various forms so that it doesn't put the organization at undue risk. So the payer, if it's the government or a private insurer, could share in that risk if there were reasons why expenses were higher than projected, you know, an outbreak of H1N1 flu or a major fire or a trauma event in the community that led to unusual costs called reinsurance or risk sharing or stop-loss provisions. But otherwise, the organization 
would be paid a fixed amount for everybody, every patient who got their care through that organization, and they definitely would be rewarded if they were able to avoid avoidable hospitalization, prevent duplication of tests, better coordinate their care so there's less waste in the system. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jack Lewin. Our guest is Dr. Karen Davis, president of the Commonwealth Fund based in New York City. We're discussing the role of accountable care organizations in fostering integrated healthcare delivery systems, better quality, and hopefully more efficiency. Well, Karen, when we talked about the reimbursement, this idea of moving toward a global reimbursement strategy that allows people to manage dollars better, hopefully be more efficient, more effective, and at the same time improve quality, we think back to that dreaded C-word capitation, even though it's working quite well for HMO care in California today and a few other locations and for Kaiser Permanente, for example. The one thing that that we have today that we didn't have back in the 90s during the managed care experimentation was we have registries now that can help adhere to guidelines and performance measures and can protect against under-treatment. So how can we move that 85% of the delivery system, the doctors and hospitals that aren't integrated now, to these new accountable care organizations and realistically get that done? Most importantly, these organizations would stand to get bonuses for reaching outstanding performance levels of care, would be recognized as achieving excellent results for their patients rather than making money by denying care, even care that was important to patients' overall outcomes. You're right that we have much better measures of quality of care, so we're able to really look at the performance of an accountable care organization, looking at health outcomes, looking at the extent to which they meet professional standards of care. So I think it has many fewer risks and downsides than the managed care movement of the 1990s. But that experience is still fresh in the minds of many physicians and hospitals and medical organizations. And I think we do need to find some ways of testing smaller steps without jumping toward total global fees for the care of patients. I see two as being particularly promising. The first is a medical home fee or a global primary care payment fee that might identify a physician group that would agree to take total accountability for the primary care of patients and receive a global fee in exchange for that. The second would be a global acute care case rate. So if you take a patient who's hospitalized, for example, with a hip replacement, uh, needing a hip replacement, there would be a single global fee for the care of that patient. I'm on the board of the Geisinger Health System, they've tested this concept, for example, with coronary bypass surgery, where they have a global fee with a warranty. That is to say, they charge a single fee for all of the care that's involved in the procedure, plus any care that's needed for 90 days post-surgery. They've gotten a lot of positive out of that, a lot of positive publicity, and, and also their care coordination has really demonstrated significant reductions in readmissions and all those expensive complications that we're trying to avoid. So we can do this if we can get organized in that fashion. I think there are, you know, obviously some devils in the details about the limitations of what these might be and challenges and criticisms out there. 
Do you think that uh, we can reverse some of the trends in competition between practices and hospitals and actually move folks in this direction? you think just the in- incentives will do that? Well, what kind of incentives would do it, do you think, Karen? I think that we need a system where providers can be assured that they're not being exposed to undue financial risk, and that's easiest if they are being paid a single fee for the services that they as an organization provide. In other words, they're not responsible for things that are beyond their control that require services outside their organization. And in the case of physician group practices, truthfully, that might involve hospitalization. Sometimes you don't know what the cost is going to be during the hospital episode. You know your own services, but not what the hospital costs will be. So we may need to break a global acute care case rate for things like a hip replacement into a physician component, a hospital component, perhaps a post-acute care component, and so that the physician group knows that they're financially accountable for the physician services, but not accountable for the hospital costs. Ideally, all of that would be lumped together, but it may take a period of time of testing some of these other more limited models just to get a sense of how they work, get physicians and other organizations comfortable with being paid that way. You know, in other words, we're going to have to experiment a bit to get there. And the ACC does, in fact, have some models for moving some pilots that would move people from non-integration to an intermediary step toward, hopefully, an administrative structure that could take bundled payments or episodes of care or a budget and try to get them in steps on the way with some gain-sharing incentives to get them there. We are in a period that requires some testing. Uh, What I would urge is that we have rapid cycle of pilot testing of these different forms of organizations, different forms of incentive payment. We simply cannot afford to wait 10 years for results on a handful of sites. So I certainly am looking to Congress and the health reform bills that are under consideration to give the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services the flexibility to very rapidly test these concepts and in real time, not with a lag of three to five years, really get us information on what works. We we all need to lobby a little harder to get some teeth into these various bills to make sure that we actually get that done. Well, we have been learning more about accountable care organizations with Dr. Karen Davis of the Commonwealth Fund. Karen, thank you for being our guest. This has been a terrific conversation. It was great to be with you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.